1: Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Rotor World Football Show. It is our week 14 recap. We're going to break down the entire Sunday slate. A lot of crazy action in the final week of the fantasy regular season as we try to get you ready for the playoffs. That includes, Denny, one of the least crazy games of the week, at least in terms of fantasy output. Mm -hmm. Really crazy, and unfortunately, in terms of who got injured in the Vikings, 3-0 win over the Raiders. We were so, so close to the first 0-0 tie (laughs) in decades in decades in the nfl but it justin jefferson and his first game back what he makes it one or two catches mm. and takes a huge shot over the middle of the field and is literally hospitalized their old colleague hayden winks tweeting a literal hospital ball what happened to justin jefferson what else happened in this game and then for the folks listening we, we also get to the saints panthers and bears lions but what happened yeah. to justin jefferson who was supposed to be our savior for the fancy playoffs
2: yeah, no, that that's not happening. Uh, it's described by Kevin O'Connell as an internal chest injury for Justin Jefferson. He went into the blue tent for about ten seconds, and they seemed to be in quite a hurry to get him out of the blue tent and to a hospital. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we're 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 hoping for the best there. But you know, I mean, look, this is fantasy. Fan, this is a fantasy football show, believe it or not. So we we do look at you know what that means for fantasy teams. I would say, as of Sunday night, I would say that you probably should not bank on having Justin Jefferson for the remainder of the fantasy schedule. There's really just
1: no reason, probably, at this point. Yeah, no. They're making another quarterback change. The playoff hopes are dwindling. Right. He, he doesn't have his contract. Justin Jefferson, almost no reason to believe he'll play football again this year.
2: Yeah. And, and you know, so really a tough break for the Vikings, for Jefferson, for folks who drafted him, uh, holding out hope. Uh, and yeah, so three, three, nothing. Uh, I have, I, I have atoned for my sins, both, yeah. both past, present and future. So thank you for that, Pat. For You've been it. cleansed. Um, Honestly, it didn't look like it's such, such a bad game on the surface, but wow, it was bad because here, here's what they did with Josh Dobbs. Okay. I, and I won't dwell on this too much, but they did that thing. And you mentioned this in your column last week, Pat, where they said, Josh, you're going to go out there. We're going to, you're going to retain the job, but you better not make one mistake. Yeah. And he said, okay, I'm not going to make one mistake. I'm also not going to make one good play. Um, and, And, you know, so, so there, so there was, there was nothing, nothing down the field. Everything was Josh jobs, Josh Dobbs, just trying not to get benched because that was the edict. The edict was don't mess up. So he didn't mess up, but he was terrible. And that's how it goes. So uh, uh, he he averages about three yards per attempt uh through three and a half quarters. That he should have been he should have been pulled in the first quarter. I I I think that after his fourth or fifth throw, they should have said, "Okay, you're done. You're done. You're never going to play in this town again." Literally. And come on, and, man. No, he's done. He's finished. He's finished. <laughs> Josh Dobbs is, is obviously finished as an NFL starter. This can this cannot happen again. Four interceptions against the Bears in week 12. He comes out against the Raiders. These, these are not world beaters. He didn't play the Niners and the, and the Cowboys, okay? He's he's playing terrible teams, and, he, and he's missing throws worse than he was in, in Arizona. So he gets benched finally, mercifully, he gets benched in the fourth quarter for Nick Mullins. And Nick Mullins wasn't great. He missed a couple throws, whatever. He's Nick Mullins. But I will say that I think, Pat, that Nick Mullins... Can uh, at least do a rough impression of the distributor role that Kirk Cousins had in this offense uh, early in the year, and that should be good for Hawkinson. It should be okay for Jordan Addison.
1: I think every three weeks there's just been a new Viking start. I just really think that Glengarry um, Hoover is going to still be able to keep Hawkinson afloat, still be able to keep Addison afloat. They are really, really. Cycling through the quarterbacks. You know, Josh Joss, so this the classic, don't get benched, don't get, and he's benched. Yep. <laughs> and like you said, this had been percolating for weeks. His yards for, per attempt have gone from 7.9 to 6.9 to 5.8 to 2.7 against oh, the Raiders. Wow. And they had no real choice. And it's just like, that is, that's what happens with backup quarterbacks. This is backup quarterback life. The returns, uh, they like to diminish. <laughs> <laughs> and, they <do. laughs> and they had diminished to zero with josh dobbs and every reason to think that it'll be nick mullins under center for week 15 against the Bengals. they could go either way as a matchup they allow a lot of big plays but there might be a defense that would be really happy to face a third string quarterback so it's not like we're going to be streaming nick mullins with all 32 teams active like you said just hopefully he can keep some of these pass catching options for probably will he's from the sling it Shanny system mm-hmm. um, not the Shanny slings i don't even know what i mean by that but uh, not the only injury for the vikings justin jefferson me. alexander madison yeah also hurt what happened there
2: yeah madison sprained his right ankle he was in considerable discomfort after the play um it lo- looks like a problem so we'll we'll have to watch his his practice participation uh especially later in the week i i wouldn't be surprised if ty tandler gets a, a shot at the at the lead role a uh, spot here, if if Madison sits out, you know that would be interesting because uh, Ch- Chandler's way better than Madison. I don't I don't know what to say. <laughs> he just is. I I, I just yeah. I just don't get it. So um oh, and, and and another thing you know with Mullins there I think you know check downs galore uh, um lots more passing attempts instead of rushing attempts. Dobbs Dobbs took off if his first read didn't work out. You know and and I don't think that that's going to happen with Mullins. So so it sh- that should filter down to more uh, target volume for the backfield. So Chandler could be interesting.
1: Uh, anything interesting whatsoever happened on the Raiders' side of the ball. We got a pick for Aiden O'Connell. We, of course, got zero points. 13 carries, 34 yards for Josh Jacobs, 7 for 53 for yeah. Devonta Adams, uh, 5 for 25 for Jacoby Myers, uh, how I mean, I, I guess Brian Flores has been doing a pretty good job. Yes, uh, since the since basically the first month of the season with the Vikings defense. But why was it just so nothing for the Vegas Raiders?
2: Okay, yeah, two things about this. Uh, one, Devontae Adams had twenty some yards until the last play of the game when the the Vikings just let him have a twenty five yard reception. So just keep that in mind. Uh, Josh Jacobs suffered an ankle injury. He he uh, the sideline reporter said he would not talk to anybody including the trainers on the sideline and seemed very very upset about what had happened to his ankle so that, that uh we could be looking at Zamir White season uh for for week 15 if if Jacobs can't get right uh over the next week so just you know stash him stash white or or if you have him you might be actually be able to use him for the first time in your life um yeah <laughs> this uh this defense this Minnesota defense ESPN wrote, wrote a piece about this. I think I write, I mentioned it on the Roto-World Football Show where this defense is 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 giving quarterbacks looks that literally no one has ever seen. Okay? That's great. And I can't really explain it, but the article does a really good job of explaining the mix of blitzing with zone coverage. And I, I go head into this game, I thought, I'm not sure Aiden O'Connell can handle an exotic defense that is showing veteran veteran quarterback something they've never seen in their lives um so i ju- just keep it in mind from a fantasy standpoint i think we need to keep in mind the minnesota defense is for real and so so uh, don't don't look at them as some sort of pushover or even or even like a middling matchup i think that it's they're they're a tough matchup
1: science is for real uh no sorry i was just quick <laughs> out, uh, getting into yard sign territory there but that sounds totally um Totally reasonable explanation. Aiden O'Connell, week 15. Uh, again, you're not going to be streaming him in 12-team leagues mm. with all 32 teams active. He is playing the Los Angeles Chargers. He maybe have reason for hope oh, and wow. to get weird and 2QB or super flex. So keep yeah. that in mind with Aiden O'Connell. But we can close the book on that game. Very strange game. Unfortunately, a very newsworthy game with who we lost. But just a very ugly game with the Saints 28-6 to victory. Over Bryce Young where Bryce young and Derek Carr were, were trading blows being the worst quarterback on any field uh, yeah. <clears throat> on Sunday for a long time Bryce, Derek Carr finally quote emerged triumphant with two touchdowns 119 yards only on 26 attempts I mean where where you even begin this game what was what was noteworthy from this game other than continued struggles for both teams but of course the Saints the better overall roster the better coach team this the better team uh, not surprisingly em- emerging triumphant eventually. Yeah. So the, the, saints did
2: keep it run heavy, uh, 23 combined rushes for, uh, Kamara and Jamal Williams. Uh, they didn't run that many plays. So I know 23 doesn't sound like a lot, but it it was compared to the number of plays they ran. Um, and then, and then the, the saints defense just overwhelmed Bryce young and, you know, Bryce young in a muddy pocket with guys falling at his feet and jumping up in the air uh, no chance, no chance. I've watched a couple of Bryce Young games in a row here and I can tell you, you muddy the pocket and, uh, it is completely over for Bryce Young. Um, so he, he, I will say Bryce Young got a little bit unlucky. He hit DJ Chark. He hit him right between the numbers, which apparently is not a great spot to hit DJ Chark because, nope. uh, he dropped it on what would have been a 40 yard completion. Um, it could have been better. Adam Thielen had 75 yards. Could have been could have been over 100. Pat if he had held on to a long ball. Uh, this this Saints defense gives up a lot of production to slot receivers. We need to keep that in mind. Go to the backfield. Chuba Hubbard 24 carries to 10 carries for Miles Sanders. But Miles Sanders had 76 yards on 10 carries. Um, so really productive. Weirdly, weirdly out of nowhere, Miles Sanders has a crazy productive day. And, but I don't even know how to say this. Chuba Hubbard (laughs) runs 24 routes to only five routes for Sanders. Wow. So we thought we had, we thought we knew that we, and we don't, we thought we knew Hubbard is the early down guy. Sanders is the passing down guy. No, no. That's the, now it's the opposite. So they're experimenting. But the key is, I think this Carolina team is dead set on giving 20 plus touches to Chuba Hubbard every single week. He has now 50 rushing attempts over two games since Frank Reich and his entire staff were
1: fired. Uh, great. Yeah, they're uh, running out the clock on the season, I believe is what it's, it's like called. Yeah. 39 carries for 204 yards, so it was effective. Um, by the way, did, excuse me if I missed it, did you mention Jonathan Mingo's prayer yards? I hear oh. the, the air yards were really roaring in I, the Superdome, but the yeah, I, uh, yards less I, so.
2: I don't want to get religious, but uh, the pra- the prayer yards brought brought a tear to my eye uh, today. It was uh, it was emotional. Uh, it was spiritual. Uh, it was so many air yards uh, could could be in the thousands at this point. <laughs> and he had twenty two real yards by the
1: way. Spiritual experience watching the ball getting thrown ten yards over Jonathan Mingo's head over and over and over again. You start to feel like yeah, you're hypnotized by the power of of some Lord. We're not mm-hmm. saying the Lord, but something <laughs> with power over you watching Jonathan Mingo do absolutely no actual production. Uh, the Saints side of the ball. I see Alvin Kamara only out carry Jamal Williams, 12 to 11. We briefly talked off air. That was maybe the, the Taysom Hill yeah. effect and the, the lack of the Taysom package and the Saints offense. I mean, really hard to find anything cool in the Saints box score other than Chris Olave. Getting a touchdown, only five targets, four catches for 28 yards. O- only no one had more than four catches, no one had more than 44 yards. I mean, uh, yikes, yeah. People, they were booing Derek Carr. It seemed like yeah. anytime they got any excuse whatsoever to boo Derek Carr, what was going on?
2: Teammate, uh, Saints teammates were screaming at Derek Carr. They were, um, Der- Derek Carr was doing this thing where he would just let the pocket collapse on him. And then
1: so, man, when the quarterback does that, <laughs> that, that does just start to happen at a certain point of it. That it's kind of like the Jimmy G from earlier. Yes. Year. Like, yeah.
2: Whatever, who cares? Like you, like you got to throw it Derek before it, everything collapses on you. I mean, he had time, but he would just wait, wait, wait. And then as it collapsed, he would start to throw and immediately someone would stick their hand up and hit his arm and the ball would fly up in the air. That, that, I, that seemed like it happened 15 times today. Uh, You know, just, just throw it. He, he oh, Derek Carr, you know, you know what what I noticed, Pat. So someone got in his head about checking down. They said, they said, Oh, check down Derek. All he does is throw to Kamara because Kamara was open underneath over and over and over. And Derek Carr would look at him and be like, Nope, I'm letting it rip. <laughs> and- <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Alvin Kamara uh should have had like 35 PPR points today, and he had like 14 because he got a touchdown. Uh, so, so there, there's no more checking down. It's all very ugly. Uh We're just hoping Taysom returns from his injuries next week because this was bad. Define we? We, as in me, who all my redraft teams died today because Taysom Hill wasn't available.
1: And kidding aside, yeah, I did not mean to make it sound like I was rooting for a player to be injured out. And kidding aside, I do have some Taysom Hill. This hurt me bad. Thankfully, do? Oh. I do I, one or two leagues. Uh, the only silver line in him being out this week is that I, was, I played Eric, Evan Ingram, who you were going to mostly be playing anyway, but in this oh, league I had been yeah. playing Taysom Hill over Evan Ingram. Taysom Hill out today, and I got two touchdowns from Evan Ingram. Goes crazy. Uh, they, they need Taysom Hill back badly, though, for Week 15 against the Giants. Uh, I don't know. There's just nothing really else here. By the way, I have a surprise for you. Kyle um, Dvorak's not going to be able to ask me about the Jets game, so you're going to be asking me about that one, too, in addition to the Lions and Bears. Let's just get right in to the lions and bears the bears 28 to 13 home victory they almost beat the lions on thanksgiving day on national television in detroit the lions were able to rally and prevent that stave off that really bad loss they could not do the same thing sunday in chicago the bears got out to 10 to nothing first quarter league they did that thing but the lions cannot have happened which is that jared goff going to comeback mode yeah. and he's just not effective there he cannot play from behind two interceptions. Four sacks. He lost a fumble that wasn't credited to him, but it was very much his fault. This could not corral a snap that really did not seem to be that bad. And uh, season worst game for Monra St. Brown. Season worst game for Sam Laporta. Or second worst game of the season. Sam Laporta's had his two worst games of the year against the Bears. This Matt Eberflus yeah. defense is really rising for some reason. Yeah, it is. Uh, I'm I'm kind of monologuing here, but just yeah. got, so, got any questions yeah. about this game? I do. I do.
2: Um, I wanted to know about the Lions' backfield because every time I looked up, it it seemed like Jameer Gibbs was breaking off a long run, but his box score wasn't that great. Before, I'm looking here, 41 snaps for Gibbs to 23 snaps for for Montgomery, 24 routes for Gibbs to only uh, uh, 8 for Montgomery. So this basically was a Gibbs script. And that—that's what I'm. I know I do have a question, but uh, going into any Lions game, you know, if they get up, it's a it's a Montgomery script. If they get down, it's a Gibbs script. So you kind of have to guess a little bit. Although you're starting either one, uh, what did it, what did it look like when things were neutral in
1: this game? Well, they weren't neutral almost ever. The Lions got off okay. to such a bad start, and it really was just the polar opposite of Week 13. They went up 21 to nothing in New Orleans, and then this road, Dave and Montgomery all day, I mean, even as the Saints came back and made a game of that. They're down 10-0 in the first quarter here, and it just becomes a Gibbs game, and it really mm-hmm. was that simple. I'm surprised that the snap disparity was that wide because the touch disparity and the production, there, there was no disparity. Jameer Gibbs out-touched David Montgomery only 14-13. to 13. They both had 85 yards from scrimmage. They both had three catches for 19 yards, or one of them had three for 16, one for th- three mm-hmm. for 19. Uh, Jameer Gibbs got the all-important touchdown, uh, which was a 12-yard rush where he took a pitch. Ne- th- this is how bad the Lions' offense was. Neither back got a single touch inside the 10-yard line. They just yeah. were not having a good day offensively. Jameer Gibbs, too, something that did not show up in the box score, had a really bad drop. Uh, th- there might have been like a 40-yard touchdown on a third down in the first half. Oof. And then the very next play, Jared Goff threw his first interception. Uh, that was a bad mistake. They did stick with Jameer Gibbs after that, and they're, they're long past the point. Of benching Jameer Gibbs for a mistake, but David Montgomery was lucky to get the yardage he did. Uh, but yeah, this it's just so bad for the Lions' offense that they, not even a single handle inside the ten-yard line. That's how yeah. sideways things went in Chicago.
2: Yeah, I mean that that when that happens, it's it, this team can't survive because yeah. it's not it's not it's built in a very fragile way. And 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 the way is you're hiding golf as much as possible. You're just hammering the run. When you can't do that, and you have to open it up. It makes this it makes this team very vulnerable. I know I'm on Ross St. Brown, very good player, but I don't think that he's the sort of like sort of guy who can will your team to victory like a Devonte Adams or uh, a Justin Jefferson, you know, Tyree Hill those those guys. So it is that that is a tough tough uh, road to slay for the
1: uh, and it, and just speaking to your point, the Lions' struggles in defense are, really are bleeding over to the offense because. They're just not getting the game scripts they want. And Monroe St. Brown had cleared, not that this is like the highest bar, but he had not been under 50 yards all year in any of his first 10 games. Now, each of the past two weeks, he's been under 50 yards. Mm -hmm. One of that, again, that was the game where they went up 21 to nothing on the saints last week. There's no real excuse for not getting 50 yards against the saints. You can't really blame that on the lions defense, but this, this defense is making things haywire for the offense. And it, This is making life more unpredictable if you've got a Monra, if you have Sam Laporta, and then, like you said, if you're trying to predict this Lions backfield, because we know how it's going to shake out uh, depending on the game script. We just can't really predict the game script right now with how much this this defense is struggling.
2: Can we move over to the Bears here? I have a question about the pass catchers. uh, DJ Moore dominates with a 32% target share uh on the day of course in the bears offense that means nine nine targets which is not bad yeah. no it's not bad uh, no it's not terrible uh also had three carries took one in for a touchdown uh was there was there anything else any other action in the passing game beyond dj Moore? i'm not seeing much
1: no very very nar- narrow target delineation which we of course like it's all dj Moore. it's all cole commit uh, darnell mooney did have seven targets but I, I think he has seven total catches in his past four games and the theme just is dj Moore is finally found a quarterback who treats him like an alpha, and he's a wide receiver one, just a clear wide receiver one when Justin Fields plays, including even for Week 15 when all 32 teams are active, including even for a tough matchup in the Browns. I just don't see how you lead DJ Moore outside the top 12. Right. They treat him like an alpha. He produces like an alpha. They're manufacturing touches for him, like you said, with the three carries. The rushing touchdown is the first of his career. He gets the rushing touchdown. He gets the receiving touchdown a 38-yarder on a free play where he's like, they had a, they knew they had a free play and he yeah. just ran right by Jerry Jacobs. Like this blue by him uh, on a go route. And yeah. Justin, Justin Fields hit him. And yeah, and I, I actually, finally think that he's the, been unlocked.
2: Yeah. I'm sorry. I I actually think there's a really good sign for Justin Fields that he's able to make that play. And I know that sounds funny because it's like a free play, but Justin Fields has not always been able to recognize a that it's a free play, and then b make a really good throw to an open receiver uh, and, and for a touchdown. I mean that 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 was a I think that was a positive little thing there for the Bears.
1: No, no, absolutely. And he, he this is gonna be such a hard decision. It's the sec- how how weird is it the second year in a row a team's gonna have the number one overall pick, and we're like I don't know if they can take a quarterback even though they've been so bad. The, the number one pick this year, of course, is not their pick, it's the Panthers' pick. Yeah, but I, I still don't know how they can really pass on like Justin Fields, even though he's proven to be a legitimate NFL starter, they might have to like shoot for the moon again. But man, he's going to do everything he can to make this decision. We're going to learn a lot about Justin Fields in Chicago against the Browns next week. That's going to be a really, really stiff test. Then he has the Cardinals in week 16, where mm-hmm. hopefully, we hope we learn a lot too in that kind of matchup. He just stuffs yeah. the stat sheet. And the kind of game, race, to stuff, the stat sheet here in the backfield. By the way, Deontay Foreman came back and immediately reclaimed the lead in this backfield. They're just kind of making it up as they go along. It seems like, but they really like Deontay Foreman down the stretch. I think he outtouched Khalil Herbert and Roshan Johnson a combined fourteen to four. Khalil and Roshan combined, I think, for over thirty snaps. Deontay was about forty snaps. Uh, so it's not like the committee is dead. He's the clear, clear leader. He's the only real option between the tackles. Uh, but, you know, they're playing the Browns in week 15. The Browns are more vulnerable on the ground than through the air. But I just don't really see why you want to be featuring any of these guys in the first week of the fantasy playoffs. We know some teams will. But Deontay Foreman's going be the only one, I think, with any flex relevance for week 15.
2: So, you, you by the way, speaking of rushing, you have uh, Justin Fields, 12 rushes for 58 yards and a touchdown. He actually led the team in rushes. Uh, uh, Foreman had – had 11, so that it's that's more uh, of that uh, that rushing opportunity that we've wanted from Fields. We've gotten that lately. Uh, his fantasy prospects are a whole different ballgame with that sort of uh, that sort of usage.
1: They are, and yeah. By the way, real great for Deontay Foreman. He watched his quarterback and his number one receiver score rushing touchdowns. Yeah, <laughs> he did not. I'm sure he was just loving life there. No, he, he was the starter. Real quick before you go, Denny, I will have we'll talk about the Texans and the Jets. Where I don't know if you'd call this a surprising result or not. A team that was already missing Tank Dell and the Texans lost Nico Collins like mm-hmm. in the opening moments of the game. He suffered a calf injury basically instantly. Uh, swirling, driving rain. It wasn't really swirling, it was driving rain, though, in New Jersey. And the Texans lose 30 to 6. He had negative net passing yardage at halftime, CJ Stroud. And the real, real unfortunate thing. Quinn and Williams on the fourth quarter late in the game is just following through on a hit pretty unnecessarily. I I don't want to say it was a dirty hit from Quinn and Williams. It was the kind of hit that just didn't need to be finished. And he finished the hit, uh, knocked CJ Stroud over and he whipped his head into the turf and Uh, suffered a pretty clear concussion. It's just so unfortunate. Now his status is really, really unclear for week 15, just a calamitous overall day for the Texans. They don't know CJ Stroud. Uh, Nico Collins had already been battling calf injuries, I- issues mm-hmm. in November. And hard to see how he plays in week 15 against the Texans. And boy, in Dell and Nico Collins' absence, no one stood up. The second straight zero ball, as Kyle Dvorak would say for Noah Brown, since wow. he returned, he now has zero catches on seven targets in two weeks. Good, uh, Robert Robert Woods, one catch for negative two yards. Um, mm-hmm. So I talked about all the bad stuff the Texans did. We should probably talk about the good stuff the Jets did. But yeah, yeah. Wh- wh- what comes to mind when you look at this box score, Tenny?
2: <laughs> comes to mind is, uh, I guess Zach Wilson is indeed battle tested. He's, he's, he's good now. He's uh, good now. Three hundred over three hundred yards. Uh, peppered Garrett Wilson with targets. Xavier Gibson is is again a thing. I, I I have to say, Pat, I played Gibson in some DFS lineups. I just want to oh, I just man. want the people to know.
1: You're
2: six um, I am uh, 3,100 on DK look pretty good. Uh, so, <laughs> so yeah. So Wilson apparently looked or operated as a real NFL quarterback. What were the Texans struggling in, in, in coverage or was this just Zach Wilson making the throws finally?
1: A little bit of both. I mean, it, it's so weird as CJ Stroud crumbled in these conditions, missing his top two receivers. Zach Wilson, he was aggressive. He seemed like he was kind of having fun. Which has very rarely been the All case. Right. Not necessarily his fault, of course. Only the third 300-yard game of his career. Uh, only a second two-touchdown game of this season. It wasn't a turnover-free day. He he did lose a fumble at the end of a scramble. It wasn't like the worst fumble you'd ever see. It was kind of it was kind of a Josh Allen-type turnover. He shouldn't be making. Um, but he made it.
2: Well, it was yeah. it was a run where you were like, well, this ends with a fumble.
1: Yeah, it, it, it <laughs> was. It
2: was. <laughs> like, it there's was. no way he's not going to fall,
1: <laughs> and, and he immediately fumbled. Yeah. Uh, immediately, immediately fumbled. This could have gone one or two ways. He could have come back. Sometimes when you go back to the benched quarterback, uh, you're like, well, oh, surely they don't have further to fall. And then they bust out like a career low moment. And th- this was a career high. Where he, he he understood the assignment. I'm going to continue to target Garrett Wilson relentlessly A second hundred yard game of the season for Garrett Wilson. He made his second most explosive pass catcher, his second most targeted option, Brees Hall season high eight catches season high 86 receiving yards for Brees Hall. He got one of the receiving scores. Randall Cobb. somehow i got the second one that was really bleak, Go but on. yeah, I just felt like he was aggressive. He wasn't holding on the ball forever. Like he does. He made sometimes, you know, when Zach Wilson would leave the pocket, you're like, well, here comes a pick or like a fumble, but they actually just produced big plays a few yeah. times on Sunday. Uh, really, really difficult to read too much into it. They have a really tough week 15 assignment and um, going on the road against the Miami dolphins. So probably going to be a one-off performance, but a good moment in a career that has not had very many of them for sure. I,
2: you know, with this sort of play, I mean, I know Brees Hall has been tough for fantasy, but Brees Hall, can get there just based on on you know receiving work rather than having to rely on a big run, which you know he can do. But a big run is a big run. Doesn't, they don't come around all that often. So that, that is that is good to know for his PPR floor going forward.
1: And yeah, Dalvin Cook, I, I, I don't know why though they would really stick with this super inefficient on the ground again. Seven carries for thir- thirteen yards. Probably like the seriously like ten or eleventh time in his career he injured his shoulder. He did stay in the game. He played mm-hmm. through it. But I yeah. stand to reason they're going to phase him back out. I think heading into week 15. Yeah,
2: and just so folks know, uh, Brees Hall 27 pass routes on 43 dropbacks for the Jets. Dalvin Cook with only five routes. So Brees is dominating pass, uh, you know, passing offense
1: work. Yeah. The final note on this game is you loved note on our podcast uh, that they were playing with a lead the whole game. It's pouring rain the whole game. And the Jets—they're going back. to Their quarterback—they've already benched, and they still just remain really pass heavy. Yeah, <laughs> it's quite, quite something. They, so. they, are—they are, they are very pass. They, throughout the whole season. if, if, if people on
2: on uh, on X told me that? Well, that's because they have a bad offensive line. And I said well, that doesn't have anything to do with anything. I'm talking about. No, <laughs> I'm, t- I'm no. talking about. They're they the worst quarterback situation in modern
1: history. Why? You know, they need to run. Yeah, no, they needed to pass, and Sunday they did. My Garrett Wilson. Shares. thank them very much. Denny, I thank you very much. Thank you for hanging around. We'll catch you this week on the Road to World Football Show.
3: All right, Pat. Skip the waiting room. TireRack.com now offers convenient mobile tire installation in select areas. Simply shop TireRack.com for your next set of tires, and at checkout, choose Tire Rack Mobile Tire Installation. An expertly trained technician will arrive with your tires and install them on-site, at home, at the office, wherever you are. You'll spend less time waiting and more time doing the things you enjoy. TireRack.com, the way tire buying should be.
1: We are now joined by Mr. Eric Samolski, who witnessed the Bills getting a must-win victory in Kansas Mm -hmm. City over the Chiefs, twenty to seventeen. This game contained multitudes, Eric. A lot of like not wanting to win on both sides. A lot of big plays on both sides. Kind of the ultimate not wanting to win play by the Kansas City Chiefs at the end, not to steal your thunder by Mr. Kadarius Tony. You can take us through. Maybe tell us how this game ended. And then start with the quarterbacks who, again, that's really where the multitudes are. Josh yeah. Allen, Patrick Mahomes, not having the kind of years they envision, not that they're struggling, but just a lot going on there.
4: Yeah, we'll we'll get to that in a second. The the play you're talking about, how this game ended, um, Chiefs were down three with a minute 25 left the ball on their own 50. Um, and Patrick Mahomes threw 25, 30 yards down to Travis Kelsey, who... Um, Cut up the middle of the field and had all of the Bills uh, defenders swarming on him and made the ridiculously heads up play to lateral to Kadarius Toney, uh, who waltzed into the end zone for a touchdown that won the Chiefs the game. Only he was lined up in the neutral zone. Um, And so it was an offsides on Kadarius Toney, uh, and they moved the Chiefs back, obviously, and then um, two straight incomplete passes. Uh, one with you know the bills in in Mahomes' face, and he kind of had to throw it away, and then just another a coverage sack. Um, and look, it it sucks that that's the way the game ended. I mean, nobody wants the way the the game to end. But like with things like offsides, I mean, you have screenshots that I'm staring at right now of Kadarius Tony lined up in the neutral zone. I mean, he's very clearly lined up offsides. So, you know, Andy Reid after the game saying it's embarrassing for the National Football League um, and Jarek McKinnon after the game saying that the refs had it out for us. um, He was offsides. I mean, like, you know, we've seen refs uh, involved in a lot of games. Um, I know the Chiefs aren't used to being on this side of it. Um, Oh, come on, man. (laughs) And there were... There there were there were some bad calls. Look, there were some bad calls. I'm not gonna, I mean, I think we've we've all watched enough NFL games this year that like every single team in the NFL could have a narrative of like the refs were out to get us. It is
1: feeling a little worse than usual this year.
4: It does, it does. Why. Every team has legitimate qualms about the officiating. And if you want to go through the whole game for sure, I mean I'm just talking about on this one play unfortunately he's lined up sides. tony looked good at the start of the game too like he they were using him and then he dropped a pass and then was nowhere to be found well, for two drop. quarters and then this happens um and this is kind of a microcosm for mahomes it's like what you talked about at the beginning like mahomes continues to make plays that only he and probably josh allen can make um and that's what was so crazy about this game is you have these two quarterbacks who are so clearly trying to elevate teams that continue to shoot themselves in the foot, doing things that no other two quarterbacks can do, and sometimes it's great, and sometimes it was not working, and you were having these three and outs and these tr- these offenses that you know twenty to seventeen is not a Chiefs Bills game. That's not what we're used to recently. No. Um, and so, from Mahomes' side, you know we talked about the Rasheed Rice breakout um, a couple weeks ago. It is here to stay. Um, he led the Chiefs in catches, tied with Travis Kelsey for the team lead in targets. Had 72 yards and a touchdown. Could have had another touchdown in the first half. He and Mahomes weren't on the same page, and the you know the throw was a little off target. And Travis Kelsey led the team in receiving, six catches, 83 yards. Um, obviously, all of those yards on that lateral play, uh, you know, that would have been over 100 yards receiving, probably like over 110 for Kelsey. They get the Patriots next week. Should probably be a smash spot for those two guys. But they're really the only two pass catchers you can play for the Chiefs.
1: My really two quick thoughts and all the great info you just shared. Travis Kelsey is obsessed with laddering, lateraling. He's like one yeah. of the only players in the NFL who will ever lateral. And, yeah, it's a real shame for him. And Mahomes, you he say he's doing everything he can to elevate this team. and He's kept his composure basically his entire career. Yes. And for the first time ever, I saw him lose his composure at the end of the game. I thought he was yeah. upset. I thought they were claiming that Von Miller was offsides, but like you so said, after the game, they revealed they were upset about the Kadarius Tony offsides call. Which I do agree. With. I don't really know how you can be upset, about he was clearly offsides. It was the first time I ever saw Patrick Mahomes lose his composure yeah. like that. It was going and, nuts on the refs.
4: And you know what? Like he should. You know what I mean? Like and he's they, been, yeah, as you like mentioned, the, he's been yeah. a composed and and you know put together quarterback forever. And like he wasn't, you know. The game was over at that point it's not like he's like losing his cool you know dk metcalf style in the middle of a game <laughs> um you know and it's frustrating because he's being asked to do so much without a lot of really without a lot of starting caliber help um and the 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 talent around him has dwindled over the last couple of years and then obviously you know losing Ijaya pacheco hopefully for not for too long but Andy Reid was cryptic about it last week, that it yes. could be multi-week and and who knows. I mean, it's a brutal blow, and it's it's a lot on Mahomes' shoulders. And you know, somebody who's used to that level of excellence isn't gonna take it lightly. And for our purposes, like you're still starting him, obviously. Um, but he is not a top five quarterback in fantasy purposes right now, because he's not, he doesn't have that ceiling that we're used to. He doesn't have the the Jalen Hurts, Josh Allen. You know, Lamar Jackson ceiling. He might not even have the Justin Fields ceiling right now. The consistency, obviously, way better. But, you know, we've seen these Justin Fields ceiling games that Mahomes can't do that on his own. He needs help. He does. And you
1: and I were both baseball fans. It was almost like the end of the game. He was trying to have the classic like baseball manager moment in a game that was already over. Kind of best of both worlds. He he got to go nuts and let out some frustration but he wasn't like technically directing at his teammates, yeah. even though let's be real, that was Kadarius Tony frustration boiling over. But it was it was sure. almost like Lou Pinella going out, not to totally date myself, going out there and like kicking some dirt around and maybe firing up the team
4: at yeah. the end of week 15. I mean, and with they, you know, they like Gene Ster- Steratore already like addressed it on Twitter, like that he said, however, when an infraction is so egregious and obvious, a flag has to be thrown um because yeah, that,
1: that, that is i can see the chief saying this doesn't get called a lot which probably yeah, is true which is probably
4: true for sure yes. and and it and it's doubly frustrating because it is an incredible play by travis kelsey like absolutely incredible play um and and you know we talked about without isaiah pacheco it was a muddled mess in the backfield um you know andy reed said it would be clyde edwards hilaire it, it was for the you know, Up until eight minutes left in the first half, Jarek McKinnon had one touch. Um, it was all Isaiah Pacheco. He looked fine, um, but he wasn't getting a lot going. He ended the game with 11 carries for 39 yards. He did have uh, 29 yards receiving on two catches, which was more yards receiving than McKinnon. But McKinnon got the rushing touchdown, and in a way that's like super frustrating if you're banking on Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, is that rushing touchdown was a seven-yard rush. Seven yards out is supposed to be Clyde Edwards Hilaire. But it was a third down play. Mahomes audibled to a run because he saw something in the coverage and McKinnon converted. So I still think McKinnon's probably the better back for fantasy because even though Edwards Hilaire outpaced him as a receiver today, like we know that's that is McKinnon's wheelhouse. Um the issue is that. It's the Chiefs next. I mean, sorry. It's the Patriots next week, which sets up for Clyde edwards Hilaire because the Chiefs really should be up and you know controlling that game in the second half.
1: Ho- hopefully, not famous last words there. The the, the Patriots, you got they got the yeah.
4: against uh, I, Mitch Trubisky and of yeah. course and, and Bill
1: Belichick going on College Game Day.
4: I mean the the Chiefs have lost three of their last four. They get the Patriots. It feels like a game where. Mahomes and Reed just like take no prisoners. But it I does. mean weird stuff has happened in this league. Weird stuff
1: has happened. So we've talked a long time about the Chiefs. Sorry about that. There's just a lot to say. The Bills side, yeah. The thing we have to talk about, Steph Diggs, he has some frustration boiling over me. Not that that's anything new, but he seemed frustrated to me on Sunday. The slump just deepens, four catches mm-hmm. for 24 yards. Like you said on in our Slack, he dropped a screen. Um, uh, just not, I don't know if he's in his own head, if he's declining, if he's hurt. He hasn't had 100 yards since October 15th. Mm-hmm. What did you see from Stefan Diggs? What do you think is going on with Stefan Diggs?
4: Yeah, I'll I'll try to make this side quicker since we did go long. No, the no. There's
1: there a lot to talk yeah. about I
4: this game. I, listen, Diggs was going up against Legereus Sneed, who's a very good corner, um, and Sneed was winning the battle. I mean, that was just kind of the way it was going. Also, in the first half, the Bills had so much success throwing to the running backs and tight ends that they didn't even really try to get Diggs the ball because he was covered and the other guys weren't Um, when they were trying to scheme him touches in the second half. It was a lot of screens because Allen, Josh Allen was not getting time in the pocket to throw down the field. Diggs wasn't getting open down the field. The screens were also getting snuffed out. Um, So it was just a frustration game against a good defense. I do also think like there's, and I want to make it clear that there's no report out about this I would not be surprised if Diggs was operating at less than a hundred percent. Feels like he has not looked digging. like himself. He's been subbed on and off the field more than they usually do. It's just a guess from watching him play.
1: When a player of his caliber starts mysteriously posting these kind of box scores, mm-hmm. almost always the explanation is either secret injury, not even secret, but just something that is bothering them and yeah uh, I'm not trying I wasn't trying to insinuate that he, they weren't like listing some injury but for sure. almost always you find out after the fact there's something limiting a player like yeah. Steph Diggs when a player like Steph Diggs is not having these big stat lines sorry if you mentioned this already right? anything with Dawson Knox coming back and what did this mean for Dalton Kincaid that's the other big thing fantasy managers yeah undoubtedly want, and of course James Cook five catches 83 yards and a touchdown and through the so, air that's
4: so the stats don't look good for dalton kincaid five catches for 21 yards however his five catches were tied with james cook for most on the team his eight targets were uh second to stefan diggs on the team um so i would just encourage you not to to box score scout on this one just because it felt like a day where the bills offense wasn't able to get a lot going through the air Um, We don't have the snaps right now at this point in terms of how many snaps they played. What we do have from next-gen stats is the average receiver separation on the game. Uh, Dawson Knox had an average of 4.47 yards of separation. The league average is 2.95. Second on the Bills was Dalton Kincaid with 4.05 yards. Um, They did a lot of 12 personnel. Knox and Kincaid were both on the field. Knox got three passes for 36 yards. I, you know, Knox on his own is not going to have fantasy value in my opinion, other than like a fluky touchdown. I think it's enough for him being on the field to move Dalton Kincaid down to like that low end tight end one because he's still getting a lot of looks, but you know, he is being subbed off the field more often than before, but they're still using him in the slot. They're still trying to be creative. The return of, of Dawson Knox really hurts Khalil Shakir the most because Shakir had only one catch on one target on the day um he was being used a lot more in three wide receiver sets which they're not going to use as much now they're doing 12 personnel so I still think you can have Dalton Kincaid in there I think the ceiling is maybe not as high but um still used a lot
1: very very good breakdown very very crazy game uh just a lot so much always so much to unpack about these teams one final note there from you I
4: just say. final note that uh you know James Cook's receiving Work has really picked up um, with Joe Brady calling plays for the Bills. Had five catches for 83 yards and a touchdown to go along with 10 rushes for 58 yards. That just alleviates the concern that, like, he's not the goal line back, which was always the problem heading into the season. He is now a consistent part of the receiving game. It makes him a, a running back one in half PPR and PPR formats because he's getting so much work through the air.
1: It's been a clear post Ken Dorsey trend. Absolutely. Way more involved receiver. And just the carry floor has been back to, he only had 10 against the Chiefs, but he's been pretty consistently in that 15 carry range. Mm -hmm. He has survived the benching scare and he is thriving under Joe Brady. Uh, Eric, we are thriving. Thank you so much for coming and breaking, breaking down this game. Thanks, Pat. We're now joined by Aditya Foldiore, who had the bucks outlasting the Falcons 29 to 25. I thought, The Falcons had won this game, not not even kidding, right? Until I just read that score. I somehow had this backwards all day because I think it was just that kind of game. Adicho, it was back and forth. We got weird box scores on both sides, none weirder than Desmond Ritter going 26 of 40 for 347 yards passing and a touchdown. He had an interception. He had some fumble issues. He had a rushing touchdown mixed in there. So it looks like a good box score. It is a good box score for fantasy purposes. But I take it that this box score may be a little misleading, teacher. What did you see from Desmond Ritter?
5: Yeah. First of all, Desmond Ritter, he threw an interception um, in the game, and he also fumbled that went for a safety. So two turnovers in the game, but he very easily could have had five or more turnovers. He threw wow. a lot of passes that very easily could have been picked off, but the defenders went off the defender's fingertips or was broken up by the receiver. Um, He threw an interception in the third quarter that got called back with defensive holding and uh, Drake London made a really nice 45 yard catch, which should have been an interception by Antoine Winfield. If Drake London wasn't one of the best uh, receivers in the NFC South, um, it's the fact that he's on the Falcons kind of, uh, it's a shame kind of underrates his skills a little bit. He had 172 yards receiving on the day, which was, about half of Desmond Ritter's passing yards. Uh, Desmond Ritter, he threw a 36-yard touchdown to Kyle Pitts as well in this game, which Kyle Pitts finally hit on another week for fantasy managers, so that was good to see, but the pass-catching distribution uh, really showed how the Falcons don't have a receiving option, a wide receiving option outside of Drake London. It's Drake London, uh, B. John Robinson, and three tight ends that really make up that uh, pass catching room for the Falcons. Notably, they threw 15 passes to tight ends, six to Kyle Pitts, seven to Jonu Smith, and two to Michael Pruitt. So at the beginning of the season, we're thinking, hey, does Jonu Smith take any targets away from Kyle Pitts? He does and so does Michael Pruitt. So that's how the Falcons pass catchers look like for now. But Drake London is definitely the boomer bust receiver on the team he had one catch last week so it's a little frustrating for fantasy managers you don't know when uh they're just gonna throw it to drake london the whole game or it's just gonna be a B. John robinson game but it's frustrating but it was a big game for drake london and he definitely helped desmond ritter's uh passing stats bump up there
1: Yeah, with london it seems like it's either one catch for eight yards or eight catches for 125 yards and just so much frustration that you hit hit at there. I mean, Michael Pruitt, that does seem to be sticky. He's been involved now several games in a row. That's just really great. Like you said, you generally like to have two viable wide receivers if you're an NFL team. You can maybe get by with one when one is Drake London. Like you said, that interception, he wrestled away too. I mean, that's what he's so good at. He's so good at contested balls. He's so good mm-hmm. in tight spaces. They just have to figure out a way. So, yeah, it's not this Peaks and Valleys production with him and by, so yeah, you were not exaggerating. I think at one point in our group Slack chat on Sunday, you
5: said I believe you estimated Ritter could have seven turnovers. Yeah,
1: and it's, you were was, not exaggerating.
5: I was I was writing down every time there would be a turnover worthy play, just to blurb or something. But at a certain point, there was just too many. <laughs> you had to I a paragraph. So
1: <laughs> you you ran out of paper there. So yeah, yeah that's a, that's the Desmond Ritter experience. Real quick, anything in the Falcons' backfield? See, Bajan only out carrying yeah. Tyler Algier ten to nine.
5: Yeah, it continues to be frustrating. I think it's something fantasy managers have experienced this season is how yeah. Tyler, Tyler Algier is going to take carries away from Bijan Robinson. The good thing is Bijan Robinson continues to get those more high-leverage carries in the red zone. There was a sequence, I think, on the Falcons' first drive where he got two carries inside the 10, didn't score, and then uh, he was wide open on a screen pass that would have gone for a touchdown, but Desmond Ritter just missed him. So he got three opportunities there right in – uh, right near the end zone that didn't capitalize, but Bijan Robinson's getting the more high leverage opportunities, but Tyler Algier is getting carries. Cordero Patterson's also getting a few touches here and there.
1: So the pretty complete breakdown of the Falcons there. stranger set of statistics from the Bucks who won the game. Rashad White's second 100-yard day rushing in three weeks after I believe he had not done that all season. Mike Evans has the big game to get to 1,000 yards last week, and then it's like, pieces out. This week, one catch for he has he posted a Drake London one catch for eight yards, (laughs) and Chris Godwin his usual stat line five for fifty three. Rashad White also had a receiving touchdown. What was going on with the Bucks offense?
5: Yeah, the Bucks offense wasn't really able to get too much going, especially in the first half. The Falcons were taking away a lot of those deep targets from Baker Mayfield, so a lot of the early completions were shorter throws. So Chris Godwin was mixed in between the sticks and. Uh, Rashad White and Chase Edmonds each had two catches, uh, short yardage passes for sure. Um, Kate Otten was mixed in as well this game. He scored the game-winning touchdown. But Mike Evans, he had just one catch, one target in the first half. uh, That had a little bit uh, to do with the fact that the Falcons were doing a good job of taking away some of those deeper targets that Mike Evans was getting in weeks past. Uh, He finally made his first catch in the third quarter but was not heard from again. He almost scored a really nice touchdown but couldn't get both feet in bounds so an off day for Mike Evans I don't expect that to be the norm going forward um, him and Godwin sort of have had this split where Mike Evans gets more of those deeper targets and hits on those splash plays while Chris Godwin uh, sort of does the dirty work between the sticks. but this game it was definitely a lot more of Chris Godwin um, but it was Cade Otten that got a passing touch, uh, a receiving touchdown, and Rashad White took a screen pass 31 yards for a touchdown too.
1: So, yeah, Mike Evans, who's been pretty consistent so far this year, has a tough Week 15 matchup in the Packers. That that will depend on if Jair Alexander can play for the Packers. Tough Week 15 matchup. Uh, then he has an amazing Week 16 matchup in the Jaguars, if you can survive Week 15. In Week 17, he gets his arch nemesis, Marshawn Lattimore, in the mm-hmm. Saints. So kind of a mixed fantasy playoff schedule for Mike Evans, but we would at least expect a big day against the Jaguars. Uh, have you put a bow on this game, Adichio? Is there anything else we need to say? We told the folks all there is to know about uh, Bucks Falcons.
5: Yeah, other than that, the fact that Baker Mayfield, he only had 144 passing yards, but he somehow found his way to convert on a game-winning drive and score. So it seems like the Buccaneers are hanging around for now with Baker Mayfield at quarterback, and the NFC South is, I think, a three-way tie right now. It is. Evans, so. There's, I think there's 11 AFC teams with better records than the, <laughs> the entire NFC South. So yeah, it'll be it's interesting good. to see how that goes going forward.
1: Buffalo, Buffalo New York's in the American South, right? We can, throw, we can throw Buffalo down there and get the Bills in the playoffs. And Baker Mayfield, one of the most shocking, shockingly consistent floors in all of fantasy football, even though it's a QB too. Aditya, you have a very high floor, very high ceiling on our weekly hits. You always give us the facts. Um, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. We are now joined by Lawrence Jackson, who had the 49ers and Seahawks rematch of the 49ers. Kind of blew out the Seahawks on Thanksgiving night here on this network known as NBC. It wasn't quite as lopsided on Sunday. Lawrence It was a pretty competitive game for a while. Kind of surprising since Geno Smith was out with his groin injury. Drew Locke came in, two touchdowns, 270 yards. Uh, we got some uh, some of their Seahawks receivers got home. Uh, Tyler Lockett had a good PPR day. DK Metcalf got the touchdown. But we got to start with the 49ers, where not everyone got a touchdown, but everyone got their numbers. Uh, Brock Purdy, especially guys, numbers 19 of 27, 368 yards, two touchdowns. What did you see from Brock? Is the box score as good as the eye test here? I mean, and you and I were kind of talking off air. Is the Brock Purdy MVP talk going to start?
0: I think the Brock Purdy MVP talk is already started. And I think it's, you know, you know, he's on probably the best team in football, and he happens to be the quarterback of that team. Um, so, you know, that's just kind of how it goes right now. But when you watch the totality of the offense and how they operate, it's clear what they want to do. Obviously, they're a well-coached team on both sides of the ball, and the game plan is simple. Get your guys the ball and let them go to work. Yes, Um the Niners actually got off to a, a bit of a slow start. Uh, the Seahawks had a little uh, ten to seven lead on them there early on, uh, but they they finally got it together. And I think when Brock Purdy hit Debo on that fifty-four uh, yard touchdown run, that's when they kind of was like, "All right, it's it's time to get going now." Because even before, you know. They went the Niners went down and scored immediately. we'll talk about CMC in a second. But uh, you know, as as long as uh you know as long as Brock Purdy is under center and he has, you know, he's got Trent Williams there at left tackle. He's got Debo around the formation, obviously Christian McCaffrey. He's got all his weapons and all his players on offense. He's going to be able to do good things, and that's really all you could ask of the guy, he'd go out there and, you know, he'd do his job and that's why they're all successful. And that's why he Brock Purdy is a successful quarterback in fantasy.
1: Absolutely. it couldn't have said it better. It's kind of somewhat similar to the Tua Tagovailoa, Tungovailoa situation where he, he gets knocked for like, well, there's so much talent around him. Like, well, like you can put a lot of guys in the system who would not have as much success as him. But I do. I think the reason Brock Purdy probably won't win the MVP is once we really get into like the granular details MVP debate, people like, well, he's not even the most important skill player in his offense. That's Christian McCaffrey, and then, well, he's not even the most important overall player in his offense. That's Trent Williams. You know, Debo is maybe the most versatile weapon in the NFL. I think he might get, he might just get like dinged to death in the MVP debate. But
0: yeah, well, a guy guy like Brock Purdy, Pat is like you've like we've seen this 49ers team go and almost win a Super Bowl with another guy um a guy like Tua we saw a quarterback take his spot late in the season and in the playoffs and it looked completely different um but uh Brock Purdy I would say definitely Brock Purdy is a a better version of the guys, the, you know, the Jimmy G's and the oh, yeah. Nick Mullins and CJ Beathards, whoever yes. that has, yes. you know, running. But it's, you know, it's similar. Like I said, they almost won the Super Bowl, these guys. But when it's time for him, when it's it, – man, if he keeps putting up the numbers, like, I no. mean, they, they play the Cardinals next week too. Oh, my god! <laughs> so, Good
1: you number. know, it could <laughs> – might get real is what you're saying.
0: <laughs> and, and, and CMC didn't score a touchdown today. Like that's the the two guys, the two non quarterbacks you looking at for MVP is CMC and, and Tyree Hill. And CMC didn't score this week, so you know his, his odds are getting longer.
1: Man, Brock Purdy can really stuff the statute here in the final month. By the way, he has Arizona and the Commanders. Then he does have the Ravens oh. on Chris. His the Ravens on Christmas Day. That's going to be an insane game in Week 16, and a huge test for Brock Purdy. Then a Week 18, he has the Rams. I mean, he could have three or four touchdowns in both those games against the Cardinals. Commanders, yeah. yeah. he I could get him near 40 touchdowns. So yeah. the MVP debate is very live. The Seahawks is so the 49ers a real clean box score. CMC 16 for 145 rushing, no touchdown, like you said. Debo totally nuts, touchdowns on the ground and through the air.
0: Brandon, yeah, no. I use,
1: I'm sorry, yeah, do you no, no, nah, nah, about C, okay.
0: you mentioned CMC, and it, it was their first play from scrimmage. He ran a 72 yard run, <laughs> really? Yeah. I, I wonder
1: because it seemed like the 49ers were winning for this game, like literally, yeah. it was like the classic I'll, I'll take one sip of coffee and check the 49ers game, that's, and it was already seven to nothing.
0: That's exactly how I went. CMC first play from scrimmage, 72 yards, got stopped a few yards away from the end zone. Um, he didn't get the touchdown because he was tired from running. He didn't. <laughs> he, he wasn't able to house it. So Jordan Mason came in there and and, uh, and got the easy touchdown. But he had another big chunk run later in the game for 23 yards. So he, he only needed 16 carries uh, to get his 145. Wasn't involved in the receiving game as much as he is, but he didn't have to be because Debo and I, you both went over 125 receiving yards. So you didn't, and then you had Kittle go for 76. He had a couple of big chunk plays. It was, it was just big chunk plays. These guys was getting in Seattle, you know, drew lock was serviceable, but they're not keeping up with that.
1: No, no. And I mean, it's shocking. It was only 28, 16. I don't know how the 49ers scored exactly one touchdown off four quarters. Like, that feels like a pretty major victory for the Seahawks because you yeah. look at this 49ers box score, I think they might have 45 points because yeah. everyone was just feasting. The Seahawks box score is a little stranger. Was it like a 50-50 committee between Zach Charbonnet and Kenneth Walker, both kind of playing banged up? What was going on there?
0: Yeah, that's exactly what happened. Um, Kenneth, neither guy could get anything going on, on the ground, and that's what we kind of all expected coming in. Kenneth Walker and Charbonnet was both scary starts coming in there. One, because of the matchup with the 49ers, and two, because both of them are playing and they're pretty much canceling each other out. Um and it was interesting to see Charbonnet get that one more carry than uh than than, Ken. than Kenneth Walker. But it could be it could be because Kenneth Walker had missed a few games with the oblique injuries, so who knows? But it's looking like a committee. Charbonnet had the most explosive run of the day. That was early on in the game, but other than that, neither could get going um, in the run game. Walker did. If, if you did have to start him in PPR, he got you seven points there with the four catches and thirty-three yards. But it was it was tough sledding for those. It was, it was tough for the receivers too, man, except for Tyler Lockett.
1: Yeah, Tyler Lockett, he likes to do that. He kind of pops up and you least expect it. And The Seahawks backfield, it's becoming a committee at pretty much the exact wrong time, really tough matchups with the Eagles and Titans, run, tough run defense matchups, I should say, in the Eagles and the Titans. And It was kind of trending committee before Kenneth Walker's injury, but he, he was preventing a committee on early downs, now it just seems like it's a committee on all three downs and
0: yeah it, it's just like whatever guy's in there is yes
1: and th- that means like you can't treat either of them as an r b2 for the fantasy playoffs which is a r- really a bummer and like, can you even treat either of them as a flex I guess
0: that'll be tough it, only if if only if the matchup is good you know and and they're going up against the Eagles next week which you know they the Eagles have had a good run defense this season, but last week against the Niners, they got ran all over. Dallas Cowboys are currently running all over them. Yes, they are. You know, so who knows? But that, that that's a, the matchup had to be really good. Like I'm talking Carolina Panthers run defense, Arizona <laughs> Cardinals run defense, Washington Commanders. You know teams like that.
1: And yeah, that's not really walking through the door for the, they have the Steelers in week 17. They've been kind of a back and forth, right? They do have the Cardinals in week 18, but too late
0: by then. Yeah. We'll be done playing fantasy by then. (laughs) We will. (laughs) At least. (laughs)
1: Uh, Okay. I know there's going to be some straight leagues out there still go. I have a points only league that goes through week 18. Any final thoughts on the set? I mean, Drew Locke was surprisingly competent. He had two interceptions. Uh, I don't know if he had any fun, no fumbles, uh, but only two interceptions quote 270 yards against says 49ers uh, defense pretty good outcome for drew lock but like you said Tyler lock at six for 89 Deacon mecca got the big play early and then it doesn't look like he really did. yeah he he, he
0: kind of tailed off after a little while um i i the only thing I said about drew lock is I would have liked to see him use his legs more because he does have the skill set to do that um there was one uh there was one time it was a second and ten. He had a clear shot to go get that 10 yards. He ran three yards and then threw the pass. Oh
1: yeah. yeah. I know that's always such a bummer when they do that. <laughs> it's
0: uh, <laughs> it's like he wanted to kind of run, but then he you know, but that's you know, he haven't played a lot, so you know, whatever. He he did all right, you know. He he took some shots, and that's what you that's what you want a guy like him to do. So it it, it like he did what you know, you kind of expected him to do.
1: He did, and I, I'm a Mizzou alum. I saw a lot of Drew Locke in college. He can do that. He's never really done it in the NFL. I don't know why he's so hesitant. Maybe he's afraid he'll be like an instant fumble if he does that. But, yeah, hopefully Gino is back for week 15 against the Eagles. It does have an extra day to heal up for that game. It's on Monday Night Football. So maybe we'll see Geno Smith in week 15. Um, we'll see Lawrence Jackson in week 15. Lawrence, uh, thanks for stopping by and discussing this game.
0: Yeah, no problem, man.
1: We're now joined by Zach Krueger, who had the game of the day and the Ravens outlasting the Rams 37 to 31. And then one of the lesser games of the day and the Broncos <laughs> beating the Chargers 24 to seven as Justin Herbert departed with a broken finger on his throwing hand. Very, very bad news for fantasy managers, but we'll start with this Ravens Rams game 68 total points, Zach fantasy managers getting what they needed from both teams, uh, but more so on the Ravens side, Odell Beckham, Four for 97 in a touchdown. Isaiah Likely, five for 83 in a touchdown. Zay Flowers, six for 60 in a touchdown. We got Keaton Mitchell out carrying Gus Edwards, though not finding the end zone. We got Lamar Jackson having a huge day through the air. The Ravens finally having a, kind of an overdue fantasy explosion. I just laid out the box for what was going on with this Ravens offense. And it's finally, again, just, just giving the people. What we wanted because they've been doing it in real life, but it just hasn't always been translating to fantasy.
6: Yeah, well, so so the Ravens in this one early on, they got a lot of really free looks that Lamar Jackson just absolutely capitalized on. Um, on their first touchdown of the game, it was a 54-yard touchdown to Isaiah Likely off a of play action. Uh, Jackson ran the play, Likely snuck out on the left side of the field with all the rest of the secondary basically focusing on the right side and whoever was over there um, as far as receivers and and running backs go, everyone kind of forgot that Isaiah likely was also a member of the, uh, the Ravens. And in fact, on the field and very, very much open. So uh, L- Lamar found him, uh, heaved it roughly 30 yards, and then there was a nice little bit of yards after the catch from Likely as well. He added a little over 25 yards after the catch to get into the end zone, but he was just completely wide open on the play. Um, obviously, those 54 yards made up the chunk of his day. He finished with 83 yards. Um, On the day total, but then uh, on the following drive, it was Odell Beckham Jr. who had already had a very impressive uh, 20 yard catch. Actually, the OBJ continues to look more and more like the OBJ of old, which is great for the Ravens who are down. Mark Andrews. I, I'm sure he lacks a little bit of explosiveness at his advanced age and plus two torn ACLs in the past. But I, th- I think OBJ continuously looks slick on his routes. I think he still looks just as elusive as he has in the past with the with the ball in his hand. I think he reads angles well in the fields and just he, he his anticipation of where defenders are who are trying to bring him down after he gets the ball is just is just top notch he continues to just show excellent field awareness uh, and it's benefited the ravens this season and he just continues to kind of slowly progress into looking more like a player who could really be crucial for them thorn- towards the back half of the season um only four catches like i said on the second on the drive after the likely touchdown obj it was his turn to leak out past the secondary he got behind all the safeties and everybody um, for a deep score after shaking his defender that was a 46 yard touchdown Lamar Jackson threw a fairly good ball to him. OBJ did have to come back for a little bit. He ended up falling to the ground to bring it in um, on a little bit of a dive. But two just absolute slam dunk plays that I feel like is, is something that Lamar and the Ravens have been lacking as far as passing goes. Uh, I think Lamar entered this day, if I'm not mistaken, with only 13 touchdown passes. So he, he certainly wasn't blowing the doors off as, as far as, uh, you know, hooking up with his receivers as tight in the end zone. And it was just not a thing today. Two long scores. Uh, he later on found Zay Flowers late in the fourth quarter to give him a touchdown and connected with Flowers on the two-point conversion to put the Ravens up uh, by a field goal with under two minutes to go. And that was a 21-yard touchdown as well, like three long touchdowns, 54, 46, and 21 yards. We just haven't seen a lot of that from the Ravens. And we finally did today, and it was a super profitable day for Lamar Jackson. Obviously, from a fantasy perspective, he also added 70 yards on the ground. And, and things were just, I think, clicking. But then I also think the Rams gave them a lot of layups that they capitalized on, and it was just a perfect storm um, for the Ravens' offense and fantasy managers.
1: Yeah, there had just been had kind of been a disconnect between the Ravens' real-life production and effectiveness and fantasy, and it just finally aligned on Sunday in yeah. every which way, like you said. OBJ and Zay Flowers both tied and ten target. What OBJ is doing
6: after two ACL tears is it's
1: close to unprecedented,
6: almost. It's, it's very incredible. impressive. I, I I think he's like a legitimate threat, especially in this offense that. I think lacks a true number one. Like they they have two very good number twos and, and that is just fine for Lamar Jackson, what they need this time.
1: It is. And the backfield, so you laid out the the receiver core really well. How did Keaton Mitchell carry Gus Edwards, nine to six, the the game script was really wonky in this game. Was it just kind of a game that turned into a shootout and that it wasn't room for the, the methodical Gus Edwards carries that we're used to seeing?
6: Yeah, well, and and if you remember back uh, before the the bye week, the Ravens had a week thirteen bye. I believe Edwards also trailed Keaton Mitchell in in the running game in that one as well. If I if I remember correctly, I think Mitchell led the Ravens with eleven catches or eleven uh, carries in in week twelve as well before their week thirteen bye. It, it was just kind of one of those games. Like it's, it's not like the game ever got insanely out of hand for one side or the other. I, I'm not even sure. I'm looking back here real quick. I, I don't think a team ever held more than a three-point lead on the day. So – uh, Outside of obviously the game-winning touchdown, um, there was a five-point lead that there was late in the fourth quarter. But outside of that, the game was always within a touchdown or less. The, the Ravens certainly could have run it more if they wanted to. You would think that in a in a rainy slash windy environment that it would almost lend itself to the run more than it did. But Kate Mitchell had four touches on the Ravens' first two possessions, and he finished the day with ten touches total. So just six more through the remainder of the game, which is again weird because I and I think I've complained about it on the podcast before. I think John Harbaugh fails to commit to young running backs. Mitchell continues to look explosive, had a 27-yard reception this one. His first catch on the day went for a, just a nice quick eight-yard burst. He, I mean, he caught it. He ran out of bounds when when the uh, defense was closing in. And, and Keaton Mitchell has never really looked bad with the ball in his hands, with the exception of like a, fl- a few blown-up plays in the backfield. But um, it, the Ravens haven't fully committed to him, just nine carries for 54 yards. I think it's very hard to be as optimistic as we like to be on a player like him, knowing that the, the touches seem to be kind of in that sub-12 territory. We're looking at, you know, 11 carries. We're looking at... You know, just 10 opportunities in this one. So it, for a guy as explosive as Mitchell, if you're banking on top 24 production, you're probably banking on a long score. And we obviously know that those aren't consistent enough to rely on them on a week-to-week basis. And, and Gus Edwards, just six carries for 15 yards, a long of five, no red zone opportunities in this one, um, or no goal line opportunities in this one. So, you know, I, I think it's Mitchell's backfield, but there is certainly going to be that that opportunities for Edwards when they arise for him to, to vulture and the occasional plunge for a touchdown.
1: See, so yeah, Especially with all 32 teams active for week 15, you're, you're just not going to be able to count on Keaton Mitchell's and RB2. Maybe not even in a flex. Hopefully it's, we can count on more of the Ravens' passing game production because they're playing the Jaguars, really, really soft pass defense. Before then on yeah. Christmas Day, Christmas night, traveling to San Francisco to take on the 49ers. That's going to be a real big test for the Ravens, but hopefully they can keep this momentum going against the Jags in week 15. Uh, the Rams, yeah, Matthew Stafford – uh, continued a surprisingly hot play uh, of late against a, a Ravens defense. This has been a nightmare matchup for opposing quarterbacks. It's been kind of a soft slate for the Ravens defense. But I thought Matthew Stafford would remain a part of that, but instead, no, he finds Cooper Cup for his first big game since his injury, eight for 115 and a touchdown. Puka Nakua scoreless, but five catches for 84 yards. Uh, someone named Davis Allen had four catches for 50 yards and a touchdown. Now, very predictable in the backfield, by the way. All Kyron Williams, a lot of production there. But uh, how did Cooper Cup retake control uh, of the Rams' receiver cores? He's playing essentially on one leg right now.
6: Yeah, he's playing on one leg. He actually looked—he actually looked kind of spry after the catch. I thought on a few plays, he had a long of 34, um, which was an impressive play. I, I have to go back and look at my blurb real quick, but I think if I counted it correctly, Cup had three receptions of 20 or more yards on the day. So an actual. Pretty big day uh for Cup all things considered giving just his injury history, even kind of what he's been through. Um the as far as this season goes. So yeah, three catches of twenty plus yards, just absolutely I mean that's that's vintage cup right there. It made plays after the catch. Uh had had a big play late in the game to to get the Rams within field goal range on a 34-yard catch over Marlon Humphrey, who who got actually cooked on back-to-back plays by a uh, cup. And then I believe it was Demarcus Robinson on the play before that, where heart, just, you know, the, with the game online, Marlon Humphrey casually giving up 53 receiving yards on two pass attempts in his direction. Uh, wow. it, it was kind of one of those weird games where the offenses were just clicking and the defenses were not. Uh, but a couple of good, 10 targets overall. It was his first game over 100 yards since i think like week two or something like that like his second game of the season so wow. uh he he, he finally kind of got i think we could say he got off the schneid is that is that like a baseball term that we use sometimes it is that is uh, a
1: baseball if by, I mean,
6: schneid, if by there's week schneid two you mean be gotten off of yes. cooper got by off week of two you one. mean
1: sorry to talk off or you're riveting podcasting there but, but <laughs> we mean we mean cooper cup second game of the season because he of course missed the first four games of the season okay so yeah, yeah i couldn't off the schneid um a lot of baseball baseball's on the brain after the 700 million dollar contract um,
6: that's right i'm wondering when i'm getting mine um <laughs> but 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 yeah so so yeah after cooper cup's second game he finally his first 100 yard game since then and, and he looked well he made a lot of big plays and obviously got the touchdown on a six yard score uh in the second quarter so um, or I'm sorry. In the third quarter, I believe. No, the second quarter. I'm looking at box scores. This is terrible podcasting. I'm sorry, um, <laughs> but he did score and look good doing it, and was and was on in sync with Stafford throughout the day. Puka Nakua, you did mention just five catches for 84 yards, still eight targets. And Nakua hasn't had a lot of big weeks in recent weeks. But the good news is, is that the Rams get the Commanders, and every single team. Ever to play the commanders this year has pretty much looked good against that defense so uh not that you were ever benching puka Nakua, but if you're a puka Nakua manager and you're wondering when one of those splash weeks could once again be on the way my friends i think it would be next week week 15 <laughs> against the washington commanders uh puka Nakua and cooper cup could both feast in this one and also not to mention matthew stafford three straight games with three touchdown passes or more i believe it's three three and then four um, that he had two weeks ago so um yeah i mean Stafford. Stafford's got playmakers. He, he's hooking up with them. Demarcus Robinson, I think he's now back-to-back weeks with a touchdown as well. Insanely. So uh, it, Stafford's kind of clicking, I think, right now at this offense. It sucks, you know, as far as their playoff perspectives go. It kind of hurts that they ended up losing this one as they now take a game back in the NFC, which is obviously a very challenging conference. But overall, Stafford looked good. Again, both offenses were just clicking in this one in a game environment that certainly didn't look like it was going to be ideal for points. A, a 68 point total on this one was not what anyone, I think, expected heading into it. It was not.
1: Boy, if you want a game environment that was not ideal for points, we have the Broncos. This really—I don't even know what you'd say—they did the the Chargers. They they beat them soundly, twenty-four to seven, and it helps from the Broncos' perspective when the other team's starting quarterback breaks a finger on his throwing hand. Justin Herbert only makes it seventeen throws for departing, he had ninety-six yards and a pick before leaving. Kind of just a fiasco offensive day for the Chargers. Uh, but the, we'll get to the Broncos in a second. Not a lot to talk about the Broncos. But the big talk for the game, of course, was the hot hand situation in the Chargers backfield. But, you know, shocker, it seems like Austin Eckler maintains the closest thing resembling a hot hand. But what was going on with the Chargers backfield
6: touches? So entering the day, Brandon Staley said that it was going to basically be a three-way committee. Uh, He did stick to that. Austin Eckler led the way with 10 rushes. Isaiah Spiller surprisingly popped up with the second most rush attempts at six. And then Joshua Kelly, uh, just three carries for six yards. So it breaks down Eckler 10 for 51 and one Spiller six for 19 Eckler three for six. It was certainly a better day for Eckler averaging 5.1 yards per carry is not something we've been accustomed to seeing from him this year. Uh, he he actually totaled 100 yards from scrimmage uh, and averaged I think it was six and a half yards per touch and he got a touchdown late in the game. So overall, a good enough day for Eckler. He's kind of one of those guys where I think, especially, and we're we're going to talk about the quarterback situation here in a minute, but I, I think that he continued to look good enough to to stave off any any running backs behind him from taking more touches than what Staley already gave him in a game like this. Um, you know, he's still the pass catching back in the offense. I think he was the only running back with a target on the day. So we still got that firmly entrenched. I Eckler, I think, is a volume-based RB2, and it's it just there's just going to be weeks where we're not going to feel great about playing him or we're, we're going to know that it's risky. But as long as you have him on your roster, as long as he's getting you at that top 24 week, that's kind of just the best that we can hope for right now. And then hopefully, if you're in the fantasy playoffs, you have enough surrounding talent around him where a, a top 24 week isn't going to completely bury you, even though you invested you know, basically RB1 draft capital in him earlier this summer. So I, I think Eckler still has control of the backfield as far as heading into next week goes but the the concern here is certainly going to be the quarterback situation yeah
1: because as heading into next week goes it's thursday night against the raiders so essentially no shot like you were saying before we came on the air that justin herbert plays on the short week might not play again this season but almost no chance he goes against the raiders and that's probably very bad news for keenan allen and quentin johnston Led the team in receiving. Actually, had a 57 yard catch to get it for three for 91. Uh, but safe to say, the Raiders' defense has been kind of overachieving for a while now. Uh, concerning developments for Keenan Allen heading into Thursday night against the Raiders.
6: Yeah, concerning developments for Keenan Allen. If if I can put my fantasy analyst hat on here for a minute and take off my game recap hat, I would I would say that the good thing is is that he still saw 12 targets. You got to credit Easton Stick for at least knowing who his number one receiver is and getting the ball to him often. I would also like to think that given the Chargers' or the defense hasn't been particularly good this year, I think there should be enough negative game scripts where regardless of who's a quarterback, the Chargers would ideally be throwing enough to still find ways to get Keenan Allen involved to to make him fantasy relevant. But we obviously have to downgrade him from the, the typical wide receiver one slot that we're putting him in with Justin Herbert. I think as long as the volume persists over these next several weeks, I think we can still safely say that Keenan Allen should be somewhere in the neighborhood of a wide receiver two. But we've also seen guys who we would like to think could be wide receiver twos uh with bad quarterbacks struggle to get there. Jamar Chase today, T. Higgins over the last couple of weeks have you know not given what we hoped that they would um when we drafted them because they obviously got Browning as a quarterback now. But 12 targets for Allen in this game, six catches for 68 yards. Uh, not a horrible PPR day. I think we're still starting him next week against the Raiders, but we just it's one of those things where we have to we have to take him down a peg because uh Justin Herbert and Easton Stick, I'm sorry to inform all the fantasy managers out there, are two very different uh quarterbacks. And biggest difference being one is good and the other is not so good.
1: Yeah, that's about all you really need to say on yeah. the Chargers situation and
6: sorry thanks. to report.
1: Thankfully, not a lot to say on the Broncos' side of the ball where it just remains situation normal. Javante Williams in the lead on the ground. He gets his touchdown. Cortland Sutton in the lead through the air. He gets his touchdown. Uh, anything fantasy managers really need to know uh, or is it just totally status quo situation for the Broncos as they head into week 15 against the really, really struggling Lions pass defense?
6: Uh, I mean, it just kind of continues to be that the, the the Broncos wide receiver core doesn't have a bona fide stud. Courtland, it, it's hard to believe that a wide receiver who now has ten touchdowns as Cortland Sutton does that there that's not like a stud wide receiver in an offense. Ten touchdowns is just kind of like Sutton's the guy who got. It. I think he's had four catches or fewer in each of his last four games. He's he's not really out there dominating secondaries. He's just running very hot as far as touchdowns go, and he's making big plays. He did so again here, a 46-yard catch on the end zone, which was actually very impressive, one-handed catch, fighting through DPI just to bring it in. It was a very good play by Sutton. But again, no real stud wide receiver in this offense, just the one that's scoring touchdowns, and then the one who is not scoring touchdowns or getting catches, and that would be Jerry Judy, two catches for 16 yards on six targets. He actually had a touchdown called back in this one even if he would have gotten it, you know, you're still looking at a pretty underwhelming fantasy day overall for Judy. Uh, Javante Williams, 17 for 66 and one on the ground. Jaleel McLaughlin actually worked into this one a little bit. Um, I haven't watched a whole lot of Broncos, but I feel like five for 25 is pretty good. And maybe he's kind of the the RB2 to Williams as far as the, the early down attempts go. Samaj P. Ryan, only two carries in this one. So as we're prepping for fantasy playoffs, if you want to kind of read into those things a little bit and see if maybe there's someone we're stashing on your offense or on on your bench for a a stretch run in the fantasy playoffs. Maybe McLaughlin is that early down guy you can count on. But then P. Ryan continues to be locked in in the passing game, caught all five of his targets for 36 yards, Um, which I I guess what I'm saying is everything that you said earlier, very much status quo. Um, I think the roles are pretty well-defined in in Denver right now, and they're now 7-6 and and in the midst of a a playoff run. So I wouldn't expect them to pivot too much of what they're doing right now now if if they're going to keep on winning.
1: You may not like it, but this is what Peak may be making the playoffs performance looks like from the Denver Broncos. And that's what Peak uh, recap podcast performance looks like from Zach Kruger. Zach, thank you so much.
6: Thank you for having me, sir.
1: We're now joined by Mr. Kyle Dvorakic, who had to go last tonight. He's having some technical difficulties. His games were having some technical difficulties, too. Stuff got really weird. And the Browns, 31-27 to 27 victory. Over the Jaguars and things got really, really weird. And the Bengals is 34 to 14 victory over the Colts. We'll start with the Browns and the Jags, where Joe Flacco Kyle confirmed himself as the Browns franchise player. I said after the game he's going to be the quarterback going forward. 311 yards, three touchdowns against a really soft Jags defense. Uh, but good players take advantage of good matchups. Joe Flacco <laughs> did just that. Six catches for 91 yards and two touchdowns for David and Joku. Seven for a scoreless 77. For Amari Cooper, the Elijah Moore dream did die. Three for 42, no touchdowns. The Backfield committee remained fully intact with Jerome Ford and Cream Hunt. Uh, but man, was, was Jolton Joe just cooking in this game, Kyle?
3: Yeah, I mean, his two touchdowns to David and Jogu had the benefit of play action, but that's not his fault. He took what the defense gave him, and his offense was designed to take advantage of poor defensive play. So the first one... It was third and one, David Njoku, like it's a heavy set for the Browns. David Njoku walks in a straight line past the entirety of the defense, which (laughs) sold out to stop the run on third and one. And he got behind everyone. It was completely uncontested. Second one was a legitimate play action. He's like streaking across the middle, like coming across to Joe Flacco's right. He's open, but still needs to take a nice angle to the end zone to get a touchdown. And he does just that. Mari Cooper, as you pointed out, I mean, he saw what I think fourteen targets for the listeners. I am wow. doing this by candlelight, as the internet in South Charlotte or, or the the electricity in South Charlotte <laughs> has gone out. So I believe I have to like remember every stat from memory. You <laughs> do. and you get I fired if you Say one
1: wrong stat, by the way.
3: Fourteen targets. I'm like eighty percent sure he had.
1: 14 you were correct. Targets, I, so I double checked right? it immediately, and you were correct. So you get to uh, keep your job.
3: Lo- love to see that. I'm probably going to take my winnings <laughs> off the table and not guess any more stats. But as as I correctly guessed, tons of targets for him. David Njoku, it seems like every time Deshaun Watson is not in the lineup, the other guy loves to throw to David Njoku. Everyone loves throwing to Amari Cooper, who entered the game dealing with a rib. Well, dealing with, he was playing through a questionable tag, rib issue, and concussion. He was the Amari alpha we're used to seeing. And like you said, all that culminated in the Elijah Moore dream dying Maybe he rebounds. I mean, he should rebound in the sense of he's going to run the second most routes. And he's a relatively talented player on a team that is now successfully passing the football, but he's still at best the number two pass catcher, but more likely the running backs earn as many or more targets. And then David and Joku earning as many or more targets. So really he's the third slash fourth pass catcher. Dream's dead. Yeah, dream's dead.
1: The dream's just dead, and the dream could be dead for this whole operation. It's a a weird schedule for the fantasy playoffs. The Bears could go either way as a Week 15 matchup. The Bears' defense has been playing pretty well the past five or six weeks, actually. They had Jared Goff in hell on Sunday. Then they do have the really struggling Texans defense on Christmas Eve in Week 16 for closing the fantasy season with the Jets. But, man, the the Browns are 8-5. and They are still in the thick of it. Joe Flacco having a really interesting... Final uh, chapter of his NFL career here in Cleveland. The Jags, man. Were the Jags ever in this game? I look at the box score. And kidding aside, you can you can uh mess up some of the box scores here. But Trevor Lawrence, two fifty-seven, three touchdowns, three picks as he played on one leg. Evan Ingram going nuts. The guy couldn't score. He had a touchdown last week. He has two more this week. Eleven catches for ninety-five yards. Calvin Ridley, just one of the most frustrating fantasy players for the entire year. Four catches for a scoreless fifty-three. Uh, were the, did it ever feel like the Jaguars might win this game, Kyle? For almost the entirety of the game, no. Like, I, you know, I had two games
3: that I was trying to pay attention to. And when the Browns take an early lead, I say, okay, my other game is more interesting. My other game was, uh, what was it, Bengals-Colts. And that game was tied at halftime. So, of course, I'm looking at that one thinking like, oh, we've got ourselves a game here. Jake Browning's is <laughs> doing things. And this game felt completely out of hand. And then it just quietly creeps up on you that the Browns really can't get much going in the second half. And Trevor Lawrence, although the interceptions were still there, gets his second touchdown to Evan Ingram, and it's tied up. But the problem was they had no uh, no timeouts, had to get the onside kick, and didn't. I will say at the end, though, they were legitimately alive to win this game. They were long shots, but they did make it a contested game. Whereas for like three quarters, I legitimately thought, I mean, I guess a few minutes into the first quarter, I still had hope. But for like half of this game, at least it felt like the jags had no chance but by the end it crept up on you they were legitimately in this the trevor lawrence interceptions didn't feel like physical mechanical flaws as caused by the ankle issue i mean two of them were very clear miscommunications between him and his receivers one was zay jones i believe was the first one where he seemed to think J- zay jones was going to go much deeper on the route zay jones kind of broke it off and it looks like one of the uh that one's kind of a punt you know, a punt interception but it wasn't meant to be that. I think he legitimately thought Zay Jones was going to go deep, and he just did not. The other one, he thought Calvin Ridley was going to sit on his route. He broke it off in a different direction, and it just flew by him. I don't even know if Ridley noticed it until after it got past him. Great third
1: one. Go Good. ahead. I was to say, great. It's been happening so much they cast kind of to Calvin Ridley this year.
3: Well, there's another interception target to Calvin Ridley oh, coming oh up. So,
1: uh, I do on
3: us. Wasn't even a. I don't know if you'd call it a, uh, commu- it wasn't a communication block. Calvin Ridley was just straight up extreme. It was classic Calvin Ridley. He's on the boundary within millimeters. Like there's the nucleus of three atoms width between him and the sideline he does not have a step on his defender, but Trevor Lawrence just throws it anyways. And I forget which defender it was for the Browns. Just like had two steps on him and, and kind of easily. It looked like he was the one running the route. It looked like Calvin Ridley was the corner who had gotten beat <laughs> by a step or two. And I just don't know why Trevor Lawrence threw that one. Maybe he was attempting to get like the, the inside back hip throw. Cause he maybe saw that Calvin Ridley didn't have a step on his man, but the throw would not lead you to believe that. Cause the throw led Both the defender and Calvin Ridley by a lot, and the defender with a step on Ridley, quite an easy interception. So, I I will say though, all of that is to say it was like mental timing, communication mistakes. Physically, he looked fine, like he was stepping into his throws, driving the ball, scrambling a little bit. It certainly did not help in this game that he played the Browns, and the Browns do that thing they do where they have an unimaginable pass rush and they got to him a few times he scrambled a little bit but i will say as far as a guy who supposedly suffered a high ankle sprain was this game on monday night
1: right <laughs> like six days ago yeah no what it, really was. it was you just know? i mean the guy i've already said this one of our podcasts so sorry to repeat myself but he really is like lebron james level where like he can't he's like physically indestructible trevor mm-hmm. Morris. like he is almost as physically indestructible and it, it is good to hear that. It didn't seem like it was physical. I mean, I guess it's not good to hear these making you know, kind of. It's good
3: to hear because the alternative is like, this guy is not, should not be playing football for a month. And that wasn't the case. It was just, and honestly, I don't know whose fault it was in terms of how should Calvin Ridley have broke his route? Should Zay Jones have been running deeper? It's hard to even say whose fault that, uh, that like falls on as far as we just don't know exactly what the play was called. Some of both. I'd
1: imagine. The problem is it doesn't get any easier in week 15. (laughs) They have to buy the Ravens. Um, yes. So kind of things not setting up super well for the Jaguars, but they do have the Bucks then on Christmas Eve. And then the Panthers, they're tough pass defense in week 17. So pretty mixed fantasy playoff schedule for Trevor Lawrence and the Jaguars. Uh, this next game, man, I don't know it's almost like Bengals results. are just being drawn out of a hat. Like they're just <laughs> killing the Colts now, apparently with Jake Browning. And Jake Browning was not quite as good as he was in week 14 against the Jaguars on Monday Night Football. Uh, he was still extremely backup quarterback good, 18 of 24, 275 yards, two touchdowns. He did have an interception. Um, I know a lot of this was on screens, Kyle, but I mean, Jake Browning uh, for a backup quarterback this is about as good of a possible outcome and, and yet another victory for Jake Browning yeah. and the Bengals. The interception
3: was admittedly a pick six, though it was off the it was off the hands or off like one hand of Tanner Hudson and just kind of hung in the air perfectly off of his hand to make it a rather easy uh pick six. You know, it could have been a better throw, but anytime it touches a receiver's hand, I'll say the outcome after that is volatile. Like obviously yes, a better yes. throw in his gut, a better throw like hits him in both hands. He doesn't have to extend out for it and go to the ground, is just caught and not tipped and maybe intercepted, but you know the fact that it was intercepted and then taken back to the house that could have gone any, a number of ways I've seen worse pick sixes by a lot. <laughs> I'll say so on the other hand though. So I, I sort of reduced the blame on him for the pick six. I don't think it was as bad as other pick sixes I've seen this year. Oh man. The yak, this guy got on, yeah. I mean, specifically three, basically three screens to, uh, to chase Brown, who had a bit of a breakout game for himself three catches, 80 yards and a touchdown. If I remember you
1: You are still employed by the NBC corporation.
3: <laughs> Love to see that uh, came on like a 40 something yarder, to Joe Mixon and a 50 something yarder to chase Brown. That one was the touchdown. Mixon's didn't end up being a touchdown and chase Brown per next gen stats had the second fastest ball carrier time on this screen. He had an open runways so that kind of helps you set up for a long or for a high miles per hour or whatever. But one, it's sort of like I said with Joe Flacco earlier, you take the layups the defense gives you. I don't want to give him a ton of credit for over a hundred yards on three running, just those three running back screens alone, where the running backs had a perfect lane. It was well blocked by the offensive lineman. And of course, Brown ends up house calling his, I'll give them, especially Brown, who looked... I mean, he's looked more spry than Joe Mixon. I don't want to jump to conclusions in that. We see the Tony Pollard-Zeke situation. We see, like, Jalen warren (laughs) Najee situation. We've been burned by this before. We're going to draft Chase Brown in the fifth round next year as everyone's favorite breakout, and someone else is going
1: to score all the points. We'll be disappointed.
3: But he looks good when he touches the ball. I'll say that much.
1: We love when what, he's like a 25-year-old rookie or whatever. I'm sure he'll be foolproof betting on him next year, but we <laughs> absolutely will. Rookie. He played a bunch of years in college, yeah. And so you don't want to take stuff away from Jake Browning, like you said, but we're going to find out how real it was uh, in Weeks 15. They're playing on a, a short week on Saturday against the Vikings, and Brian Flores has just been absolutely cooking and really, really making life miserable for opposing quarterbacks. So it's going to be a huge test in week 16 for Jake Browning. And so yeah, the rest of the Bengals box score, by the way, uh, didn't really get home for Jamar chase three catches, 29 yards. T Higgins had two for 72, but certainly feeling scammy. The passing production, the, the production, the Bengals had. We'll learn a lot against Brian Flores and the Colts. It's weird. It's a pretty standard issue. Colts box score, eight catches for 95 yards for Michael Pittman, Josh Downs on his lower end, but three, three for 32, uh, things really went aground, though, on, on the ground. No pun intended. The second straight week, the fish don't get home, Kyle. With mm-hmm. Zach Moss, uh, 13 carries, scoreless 28 yards. Is it as simple as saying that's where the Colts' chances for victory began and ended on Sunday? They just couldn't get anything going without Jonathan Taylor.
3: Yeah, I mean, that's the, been the problem in back-to-back games. One of the problems, to be fair, in back-to-back games I almost got I almost got Zach Moss in the uh, we say the fish, but I, I played myself a fair share. And I, I, I I believe me, months. I did me. I am a fish but I played Zach Moss. So he won. He had a 10 yard touchdown right up the gut. And it was called back by a penalty. He had other chances in the red zone and didn't get there. I mean, it certainly would have
1: helped uh jonathan taylor really needs to come back in week 15 i think is what we're all saying
3: Uh, oh we would we would kill for taylor to come back we really would (laughs) would, for for our fantasy teams teams. as someone who wasn't thinking we'd get a top 10 rushing season by zach moss when i was drafting Mm -hmm. my teams we could use jonathan taylor back i do think he'd provide a pretty notable spark
1: yeah zach moss this kind of like the backup quarterback thing the returns just start to diminish sometimes in these backups they get overexposed in bigger sample sizes or just easier to game plan than opposing defenses. No, they actually have to take them seriously as a threat. That might be what's kind of going on with Zach Moss. They're also on a short week Saturday against the Steelers. The Steelers defense has been taking on all kinds of water. Not a great matchup for Zach Moss, not a great matchup for Gardner Minshew. They, they really need Jonathan Taylor back. And they haven't put them on engine reserve, which would suggest that they expect them back either against the Steelers in week 15 or against the Falcons in week 16. Uh, but the, the Colts season uh, going the wrong direction in a, a, a fast. They really, really need Jonathan Taylor back. And Kyle, I think we just really need to end this podcast. Yep. Send us home. The
3: lights in my house are back on, so I'm good to go for the night.
1: We're good to go. Thank you for, for playing Hurt tonight. I'm going to say thanks to Kyle Dvorak in a blackout. Thanks to Denny Carter. Thanks to Eric Samalski, Adicha Foldiore, Lawrence Jackson, Zach Kruger. Keep it locked to RotorWorld.com. A lot of injuries again, unfortunately, this week. Fancy playoffs starting. You got to check out Kyle's 32 Facts. Got to check out my rankings later this week. Got to check out Denny's regression files. A lot of, a lot of really good stuff. Um, so for Kyle, I'm Pat. Thank you so much for listening. We will be back later this week. Whether you're a morning person or a bedtime procrastinator, everyone deserves a mattress that works for their style. And you'll find the best mattress for you at Ashley. The new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley brings you one-of-a-kind body-conforming technology, making every sleep tailored to be your best. The collection also features cool-to-the-touch covers and motion absorption to help minimize sleep disruptions from partners, pets, or kids. Shop the all-new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home.
0: It's
4: hard not to add a side of hot, crispy hash browns to your favorite McDonald's breakfast. It's even harder not to eat said hash browns before you get home. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.